Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. It's a great joy to see everyone. Those who are here for the first time and those who are back after some time. But it already feels like we are creating a very magical energy field together. And so I hope everyone is prepared for and dedicated to creating a very magical week of supreme realization of the power, the full power of consciousness because that's what magic is. Full and complete empowerment of all of the potentialities of consciousness. The activation of those powers, which requires the awakening of the true nature of the self. Which requires, in turn, the letting go of all of the false ideas of the self, the false coverings, defense mechanisms, and identifications of the self with the not-self. <clears throat> so I hope that everyone who is here is determined to become a white magician. White in the sense of purity, in the sense of wholeness, and in the sense of completeness and integration of all of the various aspects and layers and strata of consciousness. I know that there are many here who are very advanced on the path, who have been on the path for a long time and who understand it very deeply. And there are others who are more new to the path and to its vocabulary and to its uh, nuances. 
But what I hope to do in this retreat is to help to guide everyone in a very direct way to the core of what is essential to know in order to activate the magic. Not getting lost in details, which is very easy to do with this subject. So I'll start off with a little bit of uh, personal uh, discoveries in this last uh, few weeks, especially in the last week when I've been preparing for this retreat. And I'm finally glad they let me out of my cell to come to the lodge. <laughs> it's been difficult to uh, uh, study as intensely as I have been studying and meditating. But I have to say that, well, since I brought it on myself, having chosen the topic, I have no one to blame for it. Uh, and I did choose the topic very specifically, or at least it was given to this one, to have to come to know enough to be able to teach this subject, because we are entering a time in which the powers of magic will be necessary and will be returned to us because these are powers that once belonged to us and that we lost and that we lost the right to but that we now have the opportunity to regain the rights and the the wisdom to be able to wield the power of white magic. And so the study that uh, I went through included the history of magic. And the history of magic ties everything together. At least in the, let's say, the second half of the cycle of time, Kali Yuga and Treta Yuga. Magic is the key. It unites East and West. It unites the ancient Egyptian teachings, which evolved into Hermeticism, but also went to Greece and became Pythagoreanism and uh, became Orphicism. Or the Orphic mysteries are very important if we want to understand magic. And then, of course, later on, the philosophical uh, development and philosophy, the love of wisdom, was originally the same as magic. It only later, at the time of Aristotle, fell into a logicism that lost uh, contact with the real uses of the dialectical reason and to, to bring about an ascension of consciousness beyond the bodily identification and the access to the higher forces, powers available to consciousness. And magic is the key to understanding alchemy. It's the key to understanding the development of the 
various movements of yoga in the East, including the development of the very early forms of, of yoga that became Mithraism, for example, and later Zoroastrianism, which is from them and from that area of Persia, in fact, that we get the, the term, the Magi, of course, that visited Christ. And Jesus, of course, in his own day as a historical being, not the one that is now described in the, in, the, in the late Gospels that became Orthodox, but Jesus was considered a magician. But magic understood very differently than magic is now. And the, the, uh, the shramans, who were the proto-Buddhist yogis, and from who developed and moved uh, up into Siberia and became called shamans, all of, of that uh, and the uses of soma and haoma and all of the various uh, uses of plant medicines along with other forms of achieving higher consciousness. The whole science of yoga itself was based upon the the realization that we had to become masters of consciousness, not dependent on medicines or any kind of, of crystals from the external world, but be able to produce the shifts in consciousness at will. And of course, the same, the same magic was part of the original Taoism and the various developments in the Far East that later became connected with Zen and Son and the other forms of Shikungan Buddhism in Japan and the various other magical sects and movements that developed over time. And then, of course, there was the rebirth of all of this in the European Renaissance and uh, with Marsilio Ficino and the rediscovery of Hermeticism and the Platonic understandings and the refinding of the Eleusinian mysteries and all of the various other more esoteric uh, magical schools of the ancient world and uh, including the integration with the Hebrew Kabbalah and the Enochian magic, which was developed by, again, different magicians, including the great John Dee in Elizabethan England. And we could go on and on, but there's a, there's a huge network of understandings, of connections, a grid work that connects all of history with the Gnostics and, uh, and of all the various forms of Gnosticism that remained underground and became the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians and all of those movements that have degraded in time but nonetheless have carried forward at least the embers of the flames of the knowledge that was once very great and very powerful, and that became repressed uh, 
forcibly by the Orthodox churches and uh, largely lost as a result of uh, inaccurate copying of texts and inaccurate understandings and the, the cutting of lineages and the, uh, the loss of the intelligence within consciousness to be able to make use of magic in its true and original sense and thus the development of such phenomena as black magic developed as well and we need to understand it because the world is filled with it but we also need to recognize that it is not a threat to one who is in touch with the supreme powers of consciousness. So there should be no paranoia in this study and practice. But it all depends upon the willingness to surrender the lower self, the lower levels of consciousness, the lower chakra energies, to sublimate those energies so that they are available for the uses that they were originally intended for. So if we are going to understand magic, we have to understand the nature of reality. And we have to understand our own reality in a very deep and clear way. And that means understanding both that which is light and that which is dark. We have to understand the human shadow as well as the human aspirational consciousness that brings us from ego to soul, the upper death drive, the drive to transcend what Jung called the transcendent function, but which is not functioning for most people and has to be activated. And that power beyond the soul of the pure spirit from which the real powers that are magical derive. So it's not easy to be a magician of the kind that we will be talking about in this retreat. It requires a dedication to one's own self-transformation before one can make use of any powers that would affect the phenomenal plane in a way that will increase the opportunities to overcome karma, to overcome a previous trajectory that might have led to catastrophe and turn that into a blessing. So if we are going to understand 
magic, we have to understand consciousness and the relationship of consciousness to what we call, what most people call the world, the cosmos, the universe, but to understand it in its true, primordial, eternal, unchanging substratum, not simply the phenomena that are changing within the construct of space and time, but that power that from which space and time arise as magical illusions. And so the first thing, if we want to understand magic, Mahia comes from the word Maya. And the prefix the Mag or the Maya, which also became Maha, Maya is uh, in English the might of God that creates the illusion, the magical illusion of a world, okay? It is the might of God. But the force of God, or that supreme power that manifests the illusion of the world in space and time, is formed by the relationship of two gods. They are not the ultimate, because duality is not the ultimate principle. But we have to recognize that there is a dark lord as well as a lord of light. And it's only when we can come to terms with and master both of these two powers and reconcile and integrate them within and without that the mastery of magic comes. So we get lots of words in English that are words of power uh, and greatness and increase. So we get words like magnificent and uh, uh, magnification. making something larger, and of course, magnet, magnetic. There's power in a very direct way, but also imagination, which is the power that will be used in the casting of spells, for example. So we could go on and on. There's a, there's a huge list of, of words. Even the word to, to make something is, is coming from this same uh, root. And uh, the, the power of 
of all of these capacities of consciousness, both to develop in technical forms apparatus that increase power and magnify and create various effects in the world, uh, and the power of the psychotechnology that is the original use and development of what we call magic. Uh, both of them derive from the same force of our creative intelligence once it has been freed from the limitations imposed by a frame of reference in which the consciousness identifies with the body. Because only a very tiny part of your consciousness is needed or can even fit into the body. Most of who you are is completely outside because your consciousness is the cosmos and is not different from, uh, from anything that, that your ego mind might say is different or other or something else. There is only the consciousness that is cosmic and transcosmic in its nature. But in order to connect with that and to be able to work with that and in that frame of reference that's unlimited, unframed in fact, to make that paradigm shift and bring consciousness into this larger field of the world, that, that requires a, uh, a dropping of the ego identity. So the, the work of becoming a magician begins with that of becoming a yogi who is liberated from ego identity, identification. And it's only once that has been gained that the unified field that consciousness works in in the, in the level of magic becomes accessible. So what this means is magic is not the possession or property of an individual person. Magic is the transcendence of the personal. And we need to keep that in mind so we don't get any inflated egos who think that they are great magicians. Because the only real magician is the one self that is magically choreographing the flow of history but that each individual node of consciousness can be an instrument of that magic. And once that happens, synchronicities abound. Energies flow in syntony and in harmony. And this is the key. And this is why magic is very closely related to music and why a lot of music is going to be played in this retreat 
because music is the original way that spells were cast and that a unified field of vibrational resonance was created among different people who could share the same idea, the same invocation, the same vibrational resonance, the same uh, emotional uh, transparency and unity of heart that could unite a tribe or a coven or a, a clan of magicians or a, a congress of magi who would gather from different parts of the known world in the ancient days in order to bring about a, a shift of the age or of, the, uh, of a particular civilization. Many things would happen in alignment with the, the magical sensitivities of individuals to that cosmic power that is the actual power that moves history. It's not moved by egos. They are the puppets of history. But that magic power that flows through us once we are conscious of it and surrendered to it and uh, have gained mastery of it through that egoless uh, presence that results from the sacrifice of the false self is what enables the energy field of a, a group who are dedicated to bringing about the highest possible trajectory of our destiny in this magical world to happen as a result of the surrender of egos, because egos are in disharmony, egos are in conflict, egos are in miscommunication with one another. So if we can create a unified field of consciousness that is egoless, the power of magic increases exponentially. And that power is a power that brings about the unprecedented out of the indeterminacy of the nature of reality itself that can manifest what may not have been teleologically ordained. And this is where there is a differential between those who say everything is uh, determined predetermined, but from when is it predetermined, you see? At every moment, if we go back to the origin, we are at the first moment, and that is where the magic begins, that we transcend causality, so that nothing that we do now is limited or determined by the past. It's determined by the unlimited potentiality of the goodness, the beauty, the wisdom, and the power of, uh, let's say, restoration of all 
that most clearly reflects in the phenomenal plane the truth of that supreme nature that is the author and the choreographer, the playwright behind the, the developments of the historical characters and movements that shift history from one age to another. And so we can participate in that in very uh, unpredictable and unlimited ways through the complete unification of your mind with the mind of the Supreme Intelligence. That's yoga and that is the, the practice of magic in which the world of Maya is unified with Brahman. Brahman and Maya are the two, let's say, final terms in the yogic uh, paradigm of magic. It's the substratum of reality which connects everything with everything else and it is able to orchestrate sudden paradigm shifts and shifts of power differentials that make the dance of time and space change their rhythms and the outcomes of events in ways that could not have been predicted or controlled by any egos, no matter how much power of non-magical sorts they think they have. Whether it's money power or military power or uh, any of the other kinds of ego power that are now being exhausted and drained and destabilized out of the world so that the power of magic will become again the hegemonic and supreme power the only one that will remain standing when all of the other powers have lost their uh, potency and this is what we see happening now with the destabilization of all of the political, financial, and other kinds of machinations of the powers that be that no longer uh, have free reign to uh, govern or rule the, the spreading chaos that is bringing one age to an end and giving an opening for the magic powers to guide the rebirth of a new age. So we want to use our magic in that very large context. And to do that, we have to be free of prejudices, free of opinions that are based on beliefs in uh, 
let's say, ordinary reality, non-magical reality, the kind of thing that you were probably taught in school, uh, that, that things are run in accord with various uh, systems and uh, various uh, natural forces that are limited in, in their ability to sustain life beyond a certain point once there's a massive die-off of the, uh, the ecological systems, etc. All of the various reasons for desperation and despair in the world today that is very logical if you read the, the media, the, the pseudo-news, with its frame of reference without an understanding of magic. But if you understand much more deeply what is going on and what is happening below the radar of the ability or the interest of the media to capture, there's a very different process going on. And it's, it's that magical grassroots process that is reconnecting beings not only from around the planet, but beyond the planet, who are in resonance with these powers that are bringing about the, the shift of the ages that we are now going through. So, I don't want to say too much tonight about all this because I want to develop this uh, understanding much more deeply step by step and to work through the obstacles that everyone has to some extent at a level of individual consciousness that keeps one from activating this or even grokking what is the nature of the principle of magic that must be uh, accessed and claimed and mastered. But for now, for tonight, let me just leave this uh, initial uh, attempt to contextualize the field with the understanding that consciousness has no limits, but the ego that is based on certain beliefs and that uses only human language as its method of thinking is not able to take in fully the thoughts of that higher intelligence that does not use language. And that does not share the ego's paradigm of duality that is inculcated and embedded in language, which is the separation of subject and object. Magic must bring together these two that have been separated deliberately by, by language as an anti-magical force 
and why the use of, of language in music and poetry and in other more magical ways have been an, an attempt to antidote the limitations of language that have kept us in a dualistic mindset and that have weakened, uh, depotentiated the power of human consciousness to realize its truly divine nature. Okay, I'm going to open the floor for questions or comments so that I get a sense of where you are at with all of this and whether this is interesting to you and makes sense to you and uh, where I might have left somebody behind or uh, said something that was not sufficiently coherent to be able to uh, pass from one brain into the other. <laughs> to use that quaint metaphor, which has nothing to do with consciousness, but nonetheless is how we tend to, uh, to organize it. Yes? So can you elaborate a little bit? You said governed by two lords or two gods. Mm-hmm. The dark lord and the... Yeah. Which is part of the process. Mm-hmm. This is a very deep subject. It's probably the deepest subject uh, because uh, it deals with those principles not only in a, a cosmic sense, but at a microcosmic sense, right? Because each of us have these two principles. This is, a, this is the basis of all of the dualistic religions, whether it's Zoroastrianism, which divided the world into Ahura Mazda and Ariman, those two forces, uh, or uh, the, the, the forces uh, in Mithraism uh, between uh, the, the, the good god, uh, Mitra, and uh, uh, Nergal. And uh, we could go into even the Jewish uh, belief that we have a Yetzer Hatov and a Yetzer Hara, which is the, a good influence or, or tendency and an evil one, right? The angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, right? So these two principles are, have always been recognized. And in fact, what is the, really the crucifixion of the human consciousness except between these two tendencies? And uh, this is the difference between the heaven and hell realms that are postulated by all of the religious traditions. But that must be understood psychologically, not as if there are metaphysical realms, although there are bardo states in which consciousness uh, can enter a, a post-death of the body that, that, can, uh, that, that do have those qualities, uh, but we are dealing with uh, what I would rather uh, than put into a, uh, a moralistic duality to think of it as the magnetic polarities of history between these forces, a, a North Pole and a South Pole, rather than 
uh, good and evil. But this is what supposedly Adam and Eve ate, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? This, uh, this tree of duality that ended up getting them kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So it's the basis of all the mythologies, right? But why did Yahweh put that tree there in the garden in the first place and uh, tell them not to eat it, which would make sure that, of course, they were going to want to eat it, right? And, uh, and, and why was a, a serpent allowed in there to convince them to eat it and all of that? Of course, the Gnostics have a whole different take on the Garden of Eden story, and they would say that it was actually the, the Yahweh was the demiurge. He was a very sadistic, narcissistic uh, fragment of the ego. And the serpent represented the kundalini upper death drive. And uh, actually their understanding of the duality is what enabled them to escape from the control of this actual dark lord who thought he was the good lord uh, that uh, brought about this mistaken understanding of the nature of uh, how we should relate to one another, etc., and, and created the, uh, the need for dharma and at the same time the misunderstanding of it. And the division of the mind into a state of incoherence as these two, two tendencies bleed into one another, but without uh, reconciliation or integration. And so everyone feels torn and pulled between these two tendencies, uh, upper and lower, if you wish to call them that, ego and self, uh, and, uh, and between um, uh, sacrifice and, uh, and, and wanting to be, to, to be greedy, right? The, the whole idea of the ego as an entity who wants to control territory and wants to control uh, the other and uh, wants to, uh, to be affirmed in its, uh, its goodness and its rights to, uh, to be able to, uh, to rule over various situations and to, uh, to be able to enact and fulfill its immediate desires, sensual desires, etc., because it's identified with the body, and at the same time to try to suppress and project its fears uh, and its, uh, its sense of guilt and shame that end up psychologically bringing about a state where the ego must fragment, must dissociate, and must uh, install a censor uh, who, who maintains the largely unconscious nature of the ego, unconscious of its own motivations, of its own uh, uh, reactions, of its own um, diffuse uh, tendencies that uh, occur outside of its... Uh, its capacity to, to, uh, to be conscious of and therefore deceives itself in ways that produce karmic backlash, etc. All of the, the, the uh, aspects of ego consciousness that are now well studied in psychotherapy systems, etc., are, are uh, the result of the incoherent relationship of these two forces, right? And we see it out writ large in the political systems of the world and in the ways that 
human beings deceive one another and project on one another, demonize one another. And uh, by uh, projecting the evil onto the other are able to be evil in the name of self-righteous goodness, right? And so all of this is part of the black magic that we have suffered from in history and that most of us suffer from internally as uh, our own conscious, chaotic, uh, often self-hating as well as self-aggrandizing uh, consciousness. And it's, it's this sickness of the soul that is, uh, can only be healed through the white magic of the unification of these forces. Okay. So I think I'll leave it there for tonight, but there's a lot more to be said about it. But let's develop more the, uh, the internal structure and uh, uh, dynamics of these forces, and then we'll be able to, to move into the actual transformation that is required in the magical procedures we'll be doing. Mm -hmm. You made a comment, something about to understand magic, we have to understand reality. Mm -hmm. What were you referring to when you were talking about reality there? There's a good question. <clears throat> Most people believe that what they believe is the truth. And most beliefs that most people have are the farthest thing from the truth possible, right? Which means that in ego consciousness, people are living in unrealities. And they are, they are living in things they've been taught to believe and to accept that aren't true. Even scientific theories that have been debunked but are still taught for political reasons, whether it's Darwinism or various forms of, of physics that are not accurate but that serve the, uh, the powers that be. And there are other aspects of science that are, 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 uh, are repressed because they would give too much military information to enemies and therefore they're, they're uh, used only in very black operations and, and uh, uh, aspects of the, uh, of the governmental uh, uh, departments that are able to know certain things. And of course it's a surveillance society with information that is used against people and manipulating with disinformation and misinformation, etc. So that most people are not living in anything close to reality. So if we are going to get close to reality, we have to unblock our, uh, our ability to take in information, to filter out disinformation and misinformation and to transcend the ego so that uh, kinds of information can be received of a non-ordinary and let's say extrasensory kind uh, can, be, uh, can be integrated into our conscious minds. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, prior to an hour ago, I kind of thought that cause and effect was a very simple principle, but 
The question he just had asked complicated even further for me, so obviously I don't think it's simple anymore. <laughs> and would it be safe to say that the masses really don't understand cause and effect? And why I say that is because if there was an in-depth understanding of cause and effect, there might be a better grasp on reality and then in turn a mastery of the white magic. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think it would be good to let go of the belief in cause and effect. Uh, f for, first of all, if you go back to ancient Greece, they talked about many different types of causes. First cause, formal cause, uh, uh, what was the other cause, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the immediate cause. There were four kinds of causes, and actually there was a fifth because of the, the final cause, the teleological cause that, that, uh, that comes from the future, and, and then the, the, the cause that comes from that supreme unmoved mover who can, can shift the nature of what happens at will. So uh, causality is, uh, is already a, a much more complex subject than, than we are taught about. And if you uh, study the, the most uh, recent quantum physics experiments, they know that there is retro-causality even at the level of particles, subatomic particles. So that when they are observed at a later time, that observation will cause them to change their own past history and trajectory in order to meet with the observer's belief in what should have happened, right? Even though that's not what happened. So magic is happening even in the consciousness of, of these. Uh, I, I don't even actually believe they are particles. They are perturbations of the waves of electromagnetic energies. That, that make up the, uh, the content of space and time. So we are, the, the reason why we can't accept a cause and effect is that we, we don't have an accurate understanding of what is being affected. You see, the, the human ego believes that there are entities, almost like the old idea in Newtonian physics of that billiard balls hit each other and then they cause effects among other particles and everything. If you knew the, the original position of the billiard balls, you would know the whole history of the cosmos by knowing where they're all going to go. And, uh, and, and this was the old idea that, that everything uh, you know, starts with one initial shot into the, the pool table and then everything is determined. But it, it doesn't actually work that way. And, and there are no billiard balls. There are no actual entities. The, the, what, what we think of as an entity is even at the level of what a photon, let's say. It turns out there's no such thing as an, a particle of light. It's a perturbation of a wave. And, and once we understand that, then, then we see that our, one of the main problems that our mind has is the uh, tendency to reification and objectification of reality. And once we do that, we have lost our understanding of the impact of consciousness upon what it is observing, which is what the quantum physicists have now rediscovered. But if you take that writ large, not just at a, a level of you know, a particle here or there, but of the, of the whole cosmic consciousness, 
then you see that cause-effect in terms of past affecting present and future doesn't work because time itself is an illusion. It's not, uh, it's not a true reality. Uh, there is no past. There is no future except in your mind. And there is no present because the, uh, the present is infinitesimal. And, and you take a nanosecond and, and you'll divide that into past and future. There actually is no present either. So once you realize that, then you're in a totally different ball game as to what is reality, okay? And, and also there, space is not what we think of it as being. And, and there are, uh, the string theorists say there's 11 dimensions and there are others who are saying various different things. There isn't a, science itself is no longer uh, capable of producing a monolithic theory of reality that all scientists can, uh, can accept. Science has fallen into scientism, and it has fallen into uh, a number of uh, conflicting religious sects. But, the, but they are not able any longer to use the old uh, Karl Popperian principle of falsifiability or verifiability. And so the, even that uh, is, is gone. So we're, we're in a world in which uh, what we thought of as science is no longer even an existing entity. We can't fall back on that. And so there's no difference any longer between science, religion, and magic. These three are, are different ways of manipulating reality, you could say, but that they are all uh, functions of consciousness and because in our current state, at least in mainstream uh, social reality, there is no understanding of consciousness. We're, it, we're at an infantile level of understanding consciousness because the materialists still want us to believe that it's produced by the brain. And, and of course, that's the furthest thing from truth. It can't possibly be true. Maybe it's a transducer of consciousness, of waves at least, uh, that, that the brain can pick up and, and that can transmit, but it certainly isn't the producer of consciousness. So once we shift that understanding too, then uh, the under, understanding of the cause and effect of, let's say, the, the shift of a morphogenetic field. How does one monkey learn to open the clamshell and get the, the food in a new way that's much more efficient? And how did now all the monkeys and all the islands around it learn the same thing, right? All of this uh, understanding is no longer based on cause and effect. It's based on different principles of telepathic communication or quantum entanglement, if you wish, or uh, even uh, if we use Nikola Tesla's idea of scalar force, uh, instantaneous uh, interconnectedness of uh, all points of the, uh, of the cosmos. So once, once we get to an understanding of that, then we have superluminal uh, uh, t uh, speeds, right? There is no longer the speed of light as the, the barrier and the speed limit for reality. And, uh, and we're in a, an entirely different kind of situation in terms of understanding what is possible for us and uh, what is possible to emerge as an ap appearance within the cosmos, because, uh, because now communication that 
that our the normal old-fashioned science would say, oh, the, that star is uh, is thousands of light years away. Well, what if there's no such thing as a light year? That that's an obsolete concept, and there's instantaneous connectedness. Then uh, nothing is actually distant from anything else in reality. And if we're not talking about physical in terms of particles having to move in space, but a manifestation of a holographic form that can, can manifest anywhere at any time uh, without having to move from one uh, point of space to another, like the quantum tunneling idea, right? A quantum leap without going through the intervening space or intervening time, then, then we have a, we're living in an entirely different kind of cosmos. So the old idea of cause and effect no longer has a place in that, uh, that paradigm. But we, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll go into the details of how do we make use of that practically in, in the coming classes. See, they all know everything I'm going to say. Why do I bother? You see, I know that everybody here knows everything that I'm going to say. I, I'm just the mouthpiece so that everybody else can relax and I get the, the stiff jaw at the end. But okay, I'm willing to do that. Uh, but I know that I don't know anything that anyone else doesn't know or can't know if you want to download it. Mm -hmm. How does the nature of surprise? Ah. Yes. We love surprises. And, and so uh, we, we love uh, fooling uh, the, the ego and, uh, and creating uh, extraordinary moments of uh, sublime bliss through that manifestation. And that's probably the real reason for the existence of the phenomenal world, is, is that uh, wonder of, of the surprise, especially the, the benign and benevolent surprise, uh, which includes, in religious terms, the coming of the Savior, right? The coming of the, uh, the revelation uh, of the, the real that had not been uh, recognized uh, of God consciousness that can restore the world to its original beauty and uh, joy and harmony, etc. So, so yes, uh, all of the egos that are in despair over the hopelessness of the situation will be extremely surprised when everything works out very beautifully. And, uh, but in order for that to happen, there has to be a congruence of the beings who have determined that they are on the side of the forces of light and of goodness to uh, congeal their energies in such a way that the coherence of that energy field overcomes the incoherence and chaos of the current uh, operating systems, the dysfunctional systems, whether they're family systems or national systems or international systems, and uh, to bring about a new world order. But that can only happen if the, there's a new internal order of consciousness within each individual. And, uh, and that's what enables uh, surprise to manifest. Because what is surprise is the level of intelligence that can foresee uh, a, a possibility that no one else can see and enable it to manifest. Right? So it, that's genius. That's magic. 
that's uh, artistry, that, that's the, uh, the beauty of the, the higher intelligence that it's able to manifest in surprising ways, uh, healing and, and uh, uh, redemption uh, for, for those who are under the, the influence of the dark lord, if we will, without access to the power of light because of perhaps a sense of guilt, shame, uh, fear of judgment, uh, and, and other internal psychological forces that push one into their own internal hell realm. And so there are surprising ways for the forces of light to take one out of one's maya, one's black magic, uh, self, uh, uh, self-destructive incarceration in a hell realm and to bring one into liberation, into a new heaven on earth. Magdalene being... Ah, yes, yes, indeed. And, and one of the great uh, archetypal divine feminine forces in, in the world. Is, is that also miracles? As I'm thinking about this. Miracles are, are the, uh, the stock and trade of magicians. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I have so many questions, <laughs> but let's say for tonight, um, when you're talking about magic or white magic, mm-hmm. are you talking about the, like as it relates to Maya, the way that uh, like remember the word white blanc became the word black, right? So white magic is also black magic. It it, it is the <laughs> integration of these two forces so that the full power of God is once again made a a unified whole instead of being split. This, by the way, is the meaning of Shiva. Shiva is the dark lord, and he's also the lord of light. He's the god of destruction, but he's also the god who brings about the new creation, you see. The the other gods in in the Hindu pantheon are, are... in a way, neither white nor, or, nor dark, because all they are into is play. I mean, Krishna is just uh, you know, into erotic playfulness. <laughs> you know? the, can you say Krishna is good or bad? No, he's, he's too busy having a good time. You know, to care of, occasionally he'll kill a demon here or there, but usually only to be able to get back to playing with the gopis. You know? So uh, the... This whole, the whole uh, Vishnu idea is, is neither a dark nor light, but it, it, it is that playfulness that could tip in either direction, but doesn't really have any moral compass, isn't interested in that. Uh, and, and then you have Brahma, whose interest is only figuring it all out. You know, how do we get out of this mess? But is not either light or dark but is, is a, uh, the force that wants to emerge out of the, the world of suffering into a new creation of, uh, of a world of, of joy. But how do you do that? He's got to manipulate these, these two forces of light and dark in order to do that. But it's, the, it's God as, uh, as the growth of intelligence, not as either the light or the dark. Okay. What else do you want to ask? I mean, what, all right. What you, based on what you just said, 
this whole idea of imagination seems to be at the, the key of it mm -hmm. for me, and it's so interesting because, you know, it has all of these, I mean, the word image is in it, right? And mm -hmm. images will mm -hmm. deceive you and, and mm -hmm. are fantastical and can pull you in and all of these sorts of things. There are also archetypal images uh, right, that uh, yeah. we have to use, right? But go ahead. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'd like to hear more about that as well. But, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I guess the capacity to always sort of see beyond what appears at any given moment, sort of to see the substructure mm -hmm. behind anything that appears within the realm. And the superstructure, and they're different. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you need a larger intelligence that's able to see more than the ego can see. The ego has a very limited event horizon. And so until you get out of that little zombie box of the ego, you're not going to be able to see the real. And you're not going to be able to have the power to use these two forces. They are there for us to use, not to be ruled by or tormented by, but to, to make use of it in the same way we make use of magnetic forces and electromagnetic forces. That, that's the whole structure of the cosmos uh, into the toroidal form and, and in, into that form of the, uh, the helix and the, uh, the, the force that enables the, uh, the interaction of space and counterspace or of Brahman and, uh, and Maya. So it, it's, uh, these, these uh, powers have to be understood scientifically. Magic is science, but it, it's the science of, of that which is uh, not comprehensible to the ego level of intelligence. Uh, last question for tonight. Uh, this dark lord, does it also like, correlate to the ego? The dark lord? Well, it correlates at a microcosmic level, sure. By the way, the Lord of the Rings uh, is the uh, most recent form of the mythology that tries to explain all of this and can be translated into psychological terms that are actually very useful, even though it's wrong at a few points. But this whole idea of the ring of power and, and all of this, these, these have... Uh, psychological correlatives that are able to be, you know, made use of. So uh, it's a very important text, a magical text. It's not just simply meant to be a, a novel and turned into a horrible set of movies, you know. But and it's not a video game. We're we're dealing with uh, a, a very serious attempt of a, of an academic thinker to uh, to try to present. The truth of magic again. And by the way, he had a friend, C.S. Lewis, who did the Narnia one books, right? Which were also ways of trying to present magic again in a way that we could digest it and make use of it psychologically. So magic is returning in, in the world, but uh, you know, if we look at it from an imaginary perspective and don't think that it deals with cosmic and, and psychological forces that we can master then we, we can't make use of the literature. But, that, but that's what it's there for. And, uh, and I would say these books of Lewis and Tolkien have replaced the Bible and most of the ancient Buddhist texts, etc., as being the new, uh, the new version of the mythology that explains our subconscious and superconscious and, uh, and the ways to reconcile and integrate them 
so that the power of magic can be again uh, activated. Middle Earth, <laughs> freedom to all hobbits. Okay, uh, is, is everybody uh, happy with the beginning? Are we on the same track that we all want to be magicians after hearing this? And uh, we're open to, uh, to being the, uh, at least the, uh, let's say, the centers around which the miraculous emerges and plays its beautiful game in, in the transformation of history into uh, a new kingdom of heaven, a new paradiso on the earth plane. We've been in the inferno long enough and purgatory is a drag. Let's go to paradiso now and we can do that if we will all activate the magic that's waiting in our hearts to express itself as joy, as love, and as that level of wisdom that the ego consciousness cannot know about, but that we all yearn to see made manifest. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.